Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, I'm Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today we have um, the director and uh, dramaturg, uh, Lucy Atkinson, who is uh, in Raleigh uh, this month. Uh, to direct the world premiere of Taddy Hennessy's uh, um, A Great Big Woolly Mammoth Thawing from the Ice. Um, uh, Lucy, welcome uh, back. You've done our podcast once before, so welcome back. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be back. Thank you. It's great to have you. Um, uh, what have you been up to since uh, since last year when you were here directing I and You? Uh, a lot. It's been kind of an insane year, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I was here in September to early October last year. And then in uh, in November, I did a I did a workshop for a play that's uh, going on next month. Uh, so it was a kind of R&D workshop uh, for a children's play that I'm working on with Tatty as well, uh, which is called The Sleeping Sword. And that's going to be a kids show that's fully accessible for blind audiences, um, hopefully fully accessible for all audiences, but with a focus on blind and visually impaired audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. Then I spent, uh, I was selected for the National Theatre Directors course, which is a thing that the National Theatre run every year, where they select 10 kind of up and coming directors uh, from all across the UK. And you have a two week intensive course at the National where every day you're doing um, like full day long workshops with some of the UK and sort of the world's most exciting theatre practitioners so we had like a whole day with Katie Mitchell and a whole day with Lindsay Turner and a whole day with Ned Bennett and and many other amazing people which was incredible uh and then uh in March I started assisting on a job at the National so I was assistant director or staff director on Middle which is a, a world premiere new play by uh, David Eldridge uh, which is the second part of what will be a trilogy uh, so he did beginning in 2017 and then we just did Middle and at some point in the future he will do End uh, and I was assisting Polly Findlay on that who's someone I've been obsessed with for years. Um, then I directed a play at the National which was very exciting and kind of insane um, and then uh, well, I went what out. was that? Uh, it what? was it was crazy. Um, so the National every year has a um, uh, they run this uh, competition called New Views, which mm-hmm. is a playwriting course for uh, 14 to 19 year old students. Um, mm-hmm. So people doing their GCSEs and their A-levels. Um, and it runs from September until April as a playwriting course in schools. So schools can either do it as part of their English curriculum, part of their drama curriculum, or as an after-school course. Um, and they have uh, uh, mental playwrights that come in and, and work with the students, but it's also run by the teachers uh, to a curriculum that's been set up by the National. And then in April, uh, all the students have the option to submit the plays that they've been writing for the past six months. Um, and there were something like 630 submissions this year, uh, and they all get whittled down to a short list of nine, which is eight runners up and one winning play. Mm-hmm. So they're read by a team of readers at the National. Uh, and then the runners up each get a rehearsed reading at the NT studio. 
and the winning play gets a two-week rehearsal process and then three performances in the Dorfman, which is one of the uh, the main stages at the National. Mm-hmm. And I directed that, which was amazing. It was called Barriers. It was written by a 17-year-old deaf playwright uh, called Eloise Pennicott, who is incredible. Remember the name because she's going to be huge. Um, and it was written bilingually in English and British Sign Language. Uh, so we had a lot of fun kind of playing with um, with integrating sign into the play and integrating captioning into the design of the play um, and really playing with the, the power dynamics and tension of who understands what both on stage and in the audience. Um, it was a real kind of trial by fire we only had from reading the play for the first time to closing night at the national was only five and a half weeks which was really intense uh for like a full hour-long play over half of which was written in a language that I don't speak um but it was fun <laughs> it was yeah. stressful but it was fun um yeah so that and then I was just out in Canada doing the Canadian premiere of Girls and Boys by Dennis Kelly, which is one of my favorite plays of the past decade. And it was really exciting to go out there and get to just work on this incredible, incredible text. Um, you and then did I that one uh, last summer, uh, I think, or two summers, two summers ago. Yeah. Yeah. We did the Girls and Boys uh, as well. Yeah. Um, that's uh, and and so uh, you're juggling a lot. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, just if if that year is any indication of uh, past or future, then then um, how how do you manage that? How, d- does it distract? Is it is it difficult to 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 keep all the balls in the air, so to speak, uh, when you're yeah. working on that many different projects? <laughs> it is, yeah. It's. I mean, you know, I feel like as a freelancer, you kind of have to become good at that. Um, but it is tricky. Uh, I definitely like, I guess, week before last or what day are we on Wednesday? Yeah. This time last week, uh, I finished a, a project um, and like, at uh, yeah, so I guess two weeks ago, I had four shows in my head. I was in workshop for a musical that I've been developing for a few years. I was actively prepping this rehearsed reading that I was doing at the start of last week. I was in kind of pre-rehearsal prep for uh, Mammoth and then uh, the de- the um, blind accessible kids show that I was talking about goes into rehearsals the day after I land back in the UK after finishing this job. So I had all four of these in my head at once and it's it's tricky. It comes down to a lot of time management, a lot of, you know, really clear communication and, you know, just being kind of obnoxious with how many emails I'm sending and making sure that everyone's on the same page and scheduling production meetings. And, you know, this morning I've I've been on a couple of Zooms already with various designers and production meetings and everything. And, you know, I have a I have a paper diary uh, that I write everything down in so that it doesn't get lost anywhere and it's gone from my brain through my arm onto some paper so I've definitely like embodied that things are happening um yeah and just like you know I'm too addicted to my phone I'm never away from my email I'm always you know (laughs) trying trying to be kind of right on things as they happen so they don't build up um but it's tricky it's hard right yeah well it certainly is uh uh, and and I've noticed uh, you've worked a number of times with Teddy Hennessy, who's the playwright yeah. for the show. And I imagine there are other people that you um, have developed a comfort zone, I guess, with. Is that uh, something that helps to get through that that kind of complicated uh, calendar? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Tati and I are, are kind of probably closest collaborators. Like we've worked together on a number of, of projects before. Um, and yeah, she and I definitely have a have a shorthand uh, in terms of the way that we work together. She's also my best friend. So um, that helps. Uh, you know, we, we are in kind of constant text communication, either about work or about just being buds. Um, but it does, it means that there's a safety and a security and we really know and trust each other as artists and as people and are very much on the same page about our projects and what we want out of them. And, you know, for this one was a relatively short time frame that we've we've been working on it together. But for 100 Words, for example, we were on that show for four and a half years, you know, and for um, Sleeping Sword, the one that we're doing next month, that's been a two and a half year project that, you know, we're talking about all the time. And because I dramaturg as well, it's not like I'm being brought on once the piece is finished. I'm I'm very much kind of in reading every draft and talking about it and really understanding the show from the from the bones out so that as we get other creatives involved and as we're talking to theatres and everything like that, she and I are, are really a team together. And I have other playwrights that I have a similar relationship uh, with, like Barry McStay or Julian Greer. Fran Bush people that I've worked with multiple times now and we have a similar just um ease and shorthand of working together and a real bedrock of trust uh as artists and as people which helps have you, a lot. have you have you worked with the uh, uh, deceased playwrights uh, playwrights from the past before um I have I don't have a huge interest in it to be honest like I I have huge respect for the work um it's just not kind of what I find the most stimulating practice, you know, even working on um, on INU last year, which was wonderful. And like, it's an incredible play. And Lauren Gunderson is an incredible playwright. She's still alive. But I found it really interesting not having an ongoing rehearsal conversation with the playwright, um, just because for the past, you know, I directed my first play when I was 17. I'm 33 now. So for like half my life, um, I have had kind of ongoing active conversations with the playwrights whose work I'm working on mm-hmm. um, that not having that and just being like oh I'm in charge and I make decisions um, mm. it just feels less interesting to me I'm, I'm at heart a collaborator and I, I work in theatre because I like collaborating with people and, and really discovering things together rather than imposing uh, imposing decisions on people and I feel like with deceased playwrights, with previously performed plays, you're watching an interpretation of the text rather than uh, just kind of fully embodying the the text as as new. Um, right, right. When when do, does the actor come into that uh, process for you? Uh, I assume it varies somewhat, but um, is there a sort of a standard time when you want to start hearing from? the actor is going to embody a particular character? It really depends. It really depends. So, uh, for example, with 100 Words for Snow, because that was such a long process, um, we had a an actress involved from um, basic, like, reading the first draft. Like, Tati had written this draft and was like, mm-hmm. would you like to work on it? And I was like, yeah, let's hear it out loud. And we got an actor friend of ours to to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And she did it for the first ever reading that we did. 
but then she got cast in something else so she left the project and Gemma came on and then Gemma was on board with that show for three years you know and went through so many drafts and so many iterations of it and the play really grew with her and you know it feels it would feel very weird now for me to do that play with anyone else because it so much of it feels like Gemma to me Mm -hmm. um Whereas, you know, with other shows, uh, the actors come on a lot later. With with shows um, that I'm I'm dramaturging on and I've been on for a long time, I really believe in hearing plays out loud at every draft. Uh, and a lot of the time, you know, working with writers, they'll have written with someone in mind or with, a, you know, an idea of someone in mind and trying to bring those people on and going like, OK, this works or this doesn't. Um, and actors are geniuses and they understand character in, in a completely different way to the way that I do as a director or the way that writers do. Um, and so I love having actors on board very early in a process, whether those are the actors that will be in the final piece or not really changes. Um, but I like having actors input uh, very early on in a process. And uh, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm curious to know if, the way that an actor works um, I- impacts you as a director. Um, I'm, you know, in, in the States, at least, we have these rather fanciful ideas about different methods, you know, and all that. And we all have, I feel like we all have our little lapel pins. Say, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Meisner actor. I'm I'm an Uta Hagen actor. I'm a, you know, whoever, uh, Strasberg. Uh, um, and and there are differences between them. I, I had an actress tell me one time, I said, what do you want here? And she said, I don't know what you mean. Um, and, okay. uh, and that kind of brought the rehearsal to a, to a screeching halt, you know, as I tried to figure out how to further um, yeah. illuminate the phrase, what do you want? Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm just curious to know if if the the methodologies that actors bring to the table, uh, if it's something you try to just ignore, uh, or is it something you give into entirely, or or something else? Um, oh, it's a good question. I think like I very much have a a process and a way of working, um, and I try and seek out actors who are responsive to that process. Um, I take casting very, very seriously, um, and I try, for the most part, within a casting process to run each audition as a rehearsal. Um, So it's, it's a lot less about kind of... I'm at a point in my career, particularly now I'm working with casting directors on most things, where, like, if you're in my audition room, I assume you can act you know to a pretty high standard I'm I'm not I'm no longer kind of working with amateur uh actors um so I assume you're there because you're kind of of a caliber uh and then it becomes a lot more about okay how can we work together and you know are you responsive to the provocations that I'm putting forward you know and I really I expect people in an audition you know they'll do what they've prepared and then I'll be like how was that how did that feel you know tell me about what you were thinking as you were prepping to come here today and I'm really feeding on what they come back to that with if they go yeah I think it was good and leave it there then we're probably not gonna have a great working relationship you know mm-hmm. if they go mm, it was interesting because like when I was prepping it I was really thinking about that but then doing it this time something else kind of came out and I ran with that for a second then I'm like cool we're gonna have a great time we're gonna have fun um 
I I really respond to actors who are able to articulate uh, what they're what they're feeling and what they're thinking in the moment. Um, so much of my practice is kind of based on Mike Alfred's Different Every Night, which is in itself an adaptation of uh, Stanislavski and Technique. But um, it works with a lot of improv. It works with a lot of, um, you know, being present and playful in the room. I don't work with blocking really at all. Um, you know, I, I like to keep things pretty, pretty free form and based on impulse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't work for every actor and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I try and sense that out in the casting uh, rather than yeah. getting into a rehearsal and then being like, oh, we speak different languages. Do uh, do actors always know what what's happening with them? Uh, you know, I, I I mean, I know that the, the, there is a standard answer that the good ones do or that the professional ones do. But but do you do you feel that? I mean, do you, do you feel like that the the better the actor is, the more in touch they are with what's what's happening uh, uh, in, in terms of the the relationship with the other characters or with the circumstances of the scene? Um, I'm not saying they don't. I'm just asking the question. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think I think it's less about skill. Um, I think it's about um, it's about process and it's about access and it's about, you know, like there are absolutely incredible actors whose work I'm in awe of and I, I have no interest in working with because I know that they and I would not collaborate well, you know? And so it's not a, um, to me, like that isn't so much about kind of uh, talent or quality. It's about the fact that like, I'm going to be living with these people for a month, you know, and we're going to be going to some intense places and we're going to have to really get into each other's brains and thought processes. So finding people that speak the same language as you just makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, and for me, the way that the way that I have kind of grown my process and the way that I run my room is very conversational and is very kind of, mm, let's think about that. Let's play with that. Let's unpick that rather than like, so your motivation here is this. And so you should sit down on this line because it lands that thing, you know, yeah. like that's yeah. just not how, how my brain works. Um, yeah. And that's so not if, to say it's better or worse than anyone else's process. But, but if, if you see a moment in rehearsal where just to use your, your term to that if the actor sat down, it would have a more interesting effect on the moment than staying on their feet. Would you, suggest that to them at some point or do you wait for them to find it themselves um it depends how long the rehearsal process is i definitely (laughs) wouldn't say it on a first or second pass of the scene uh because then they won't be discovering things they'll be going oh lucy told me to sit down on this line so i'm going to do that you know once we get to like final week of of uh rehearsal once we're kind of running and refining and i'm in a a noting stage rather than an exploration phase then I might go like have you have you thought about this or like is there a reason why you're kind of sustaining this here uh you know and just kind of talk it through like that rather than ever being like sit on that line (laughs) um you know Yeah. yeah but I think a lot of the time you can really see you know if you're keyed into your actors you can see when they're like they've been sitting for half a scene and you can see that they want to get up, but like they can't find a line to do it on or like similarly, you're like, ah, you know, you can, you tend to be able to sense where, where actors start to feel stuck or blocked or where they want to be freer than they are. Um, And yeah, a lot of, a lot of 
uh, my job is just kind of articulating that, putting that out in the space and then being like, okay, how do we figure this out together? Indeed. Yeah. I want to go back uh, for a minute just because I'm, I'm curious. So, so you start in the um, process in an ideal circumstance with the playwright um, and, and you are um, working with the playwright on certain aspects of the script. I presume that does not include like the plot or something like that, or, um, you know, what the overall, what the meaning of the, you know, what the sort of uh, intention of the play is. It really depends. It really, you know, like sometimes uh, a playwright will come to me and they've got a first draft already. Sometimes a playwright will come to me and go, I've kind of got this idea about this thing. You know, and like the way that I deal with those two things are very different, you know, because one of them, there is a plot there already. And one of them is is more idea based. Um, and, you know, like, for example, with 100 Words for Snow, Tati knew, you know, it's a it's a quest narrative. Like we knew what the plot was uh, like Rory's father dies. She finds his diary. She takes his ashes to the North Pole. Like it was very clear from first draft. Things within that shifted and changed, but the plot remained the same. And so my job there was a lot about going like, okay, what what beat do we need here? Or, you know, like maybe we don't need, you know, <laughs> the, the first read through was like over two hours long because it was just so full of Arctic facts. And it was like, these are all brilliant, but like how many of them do we need and how many can we lose? And which ones are the ones that are serving the emotion of the moment instead of just being interesting? Um, so it was more kind of editing and refining and playing in that way. Uh, whereas like I'm working on this new musical at the moment with a singer songwriter. He's never written a show before uh, mm. and it's based on a true story um, or like the the place where it's set is a real place. And he's done loads of research into that real place. But mm. real life and uh, a kind of interesting theatrical plot of, you know, history doesn't care about narrative. So um a lot of what I'm doing with him is going like, this is fascinating, but what's it doing for the story? You know, like, how are we getting to this next place? And the week long workshop that I just did with him was basically, you know, he's written this gorgeous, gorgeous piece, but like, it's very uneven. Um, and because half of the characters are real people and half of the characters are fictional mm. and they aren't really integrating with each other, in, in our workshop, we like killed four of those characters and merged them with fictional people because we can do what we want with them. And we, you know, like it's, we want it to be about storytelling. And so, okay, how do we weave the story through everything? And that one I'm much more kind of hands-on and grappling with. And that's partly because he hasn't written a show before. So his his brain isn't kind of keyed into narrative in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also because he came in with an idea rather than a plot you know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it really depends on the on the project i was uh, i was thinking of that aristotelian um model of of drama you know the the rising action and then siding event and all that just do you think about that sort of thing when you're working with a with a writer especially a, an inexperienced one uh, um, or, not in any formalized way um i think it's you know it's something that 
we as human beings have been told stories since the beginning of time uh and I think there's a certain amount of that that is kind of just embodied within each of us Mm -hmm. and then for myself as like a story specialist like that is what I do and so I probably have a clearer understanding of it than certain other people or I have a clearer way of expressing it than other people um but I would very rarely go like you know look at the seven plots or look at you know like uh kind of going off that look at the hero's journey and like where's your whatever um I would tend to kind of go from the from the story that we're telling like okay how can he get there in the most satisfying way and what does he learn once he's there and you know rather than going like fit this structure that exists um just because I think that can be a kind of cold or daunting way of thinking about it um yeah I try to work more organically I was listening to I was watching a um, an old uh, 70s sitcom um the other night, and I was struck by how you know at the at the beginning of the Aristotelian model is is the uh, you know nor the normal moment before anything happens to set us off on our course, and I was struck by how this particular sitcom um, used music to do that. The, the the credits would roll, you know, and you'd hear the music playing and then it would play this very comforting, very, you know, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then bang, the thing starts <laughs> off and you can just almost see it. And, and every episode uh, of this uh, show that's highly regarded as one of the best ever uses that same uh, tool every single time. And I thought that was just a fascinating way of, I don't know that they even knew they were doing it. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe they did, but uh, um, well, um, just a, a last question. We're nearing our half hour um, uh, witching hour, Lucy, and I know you've got a rehearsal to get to tonight and stuff, but uh, um, so uh, great big woolly mammoth uh, thawing from the ice is, um, is a play about something um, uh, that I think it, is uh, no pun intended come to the surface of late you know uh, which is climate uh, climate issues um when you're um working on a story like that does it uh, affect the way that you work on the story like if if this were you know a um, hundred words for snow is not so much that it's a very personal sort of an, an exploration of a character a young person having a sim- you know a hinge moment in her life and and i and i uh, just wonder if it changes the way you work or the way you think about material if 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 the idea of the play is is you know more important as opposed to less important that's a really good question um and my perhaps embarrassing answer is no. <laughs> I don't know. I think for me, like I'm, I'm always most interested in people. Um, and I think like the, the best plays are ones where the idea becomes, uh, becomes obvious through the people. You know, any time that that the human characters become less important than the idea they're talking about or avoiding talking about, then. Uh, I get bored very 
quickly um you know and I think like I mean I'm in awe of Tati I think she's an incredible playwright but I think part of it with this play is like it is about climate change and it is about capitalism and it is about you know the the lies and the stories that we all tell each other to get what we want um but it does it in such a kind of subtle and shifting way um, that you get exactly what the big idea is without us ever having to go like, the reason this is happening is climate change, you know? Um, And you get to see these four different people in this strange and miraculous place, uh, all grappling with that in different ways and how it will affect their lives um, and what they will gain or lose from it without them all having to go, and my stance on it is this. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel, you know, there's it's a a very basic thing like if if you play the objective clearly enough then then it will make sense you know and I feel like if you you know I come to everything from the point of view of the people uh you know and the human story um and yeah so disappointingly uh no (laughs) no no, not at all not at all I was uh, I I was hoping you'd say that because I I I think it's um uh, when I think of casting, you know, to go back to that uh, hairy subject for a moment, I've always thought that the the casting against type is much mm-hmm. more interesting than, yeah. you know, you, you know, uh, you can cast somebody to play Richard the Third who looks like, you know, a a monster. Uh, but uh, what if Richard uh, was the most charming and sweet and innocent looking guy ever? What would that be like, you know? Yeah. And then the audience hears the story anew instead of uh, having confirmed what they maybe already think they know or something. So I know uh, I think that's a very um, is the opposite of disappointing appointing. <laughs> appointing? I don't <laughs> well, know. <laughs> appointing uh, answer. So, Lucy, thank you very much for this. Thank you for making the long flight uh, across <laughs> the pleasure. Atlantic and uh, and putting up with us for uh, for another month. Uh, we'll <laughs> Looking forward to a, a great big uh, woolly mammoth thawing from the ice, which opens on September 29th, runs through October 16th at Burning Coal Theater Company. Tickets are www.burningcoal.org or 919-834-4001. Lucy Atkinson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This Burning Coal production is sponsored by The Classical Station, Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org. Our production of a great big woolly mammoth thawing in the ice will run from September 29th to October 16th. For tickets and information, visit us at burningcold.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.